let's get into our passage today and, and, and see what we can grab out of it. Um, over the next few uh, weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the, the DNA of our church, the fundamental self-replicating you know, in us, uh, that's what DNA does, the self-replicating material that shapes uh, who uh, and how we are as a community. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at one of our church values of, of selfless service, a little phrase that we have there that we serve uh, because we've first been served. It was a little phrase that I came across in a book called uh, Creature of the Word, uh, Jesus Centered Church, which, which had a big influence on this sermon and on, the, on, this, um, on this value. I kind of liked it. I don't think it's unique to the book or anything. I don't think even they came up with it, but it is, it is good, so we kept it. Knowing Jesus as a God who serves us actually changes how we approach each other, how we understand ourselves, uh, what we expect out of relationships and what we uh, are prepared to put in to things. Uh, you know, as we finished off our time in, in Luke over the last couple of weeks, we came to the conclusion, well, Luke did for us and, and we agreed with him, that if you actually know and have a relationship with Jesus uh, the, the Jesus that we encounter in the gospel, then that is a transformative relationship. It doesn't leave you as it found you. It shapes you to have the same heart and mind that Jesus had. And this shaping is done uh, according to Jesus, according to how he described it to us, as you follow him, as you do life in relationship with him. And by follow, Jesus doesn't mean you just kind of subscribe to some nice ideas, you know, hashtag, you know, Jesus the great teacher, or I like Jesus but not his followers, or, or my, my kind of Jesus helps me live my best life. Jesus, what Jesus means here, as we saw, is an approach to life in which you are waking up every day and you are dying to your sin which asks you to live in opposition to God. That's what sin does. It, it asks us to live in opposition to God. It, it, it asks us to live a life of self-service. And rather what we would do in following Jesus is that we would find delight in serving God and others as an overflow of first being served and loved by God in Jesus. That's what we encountered there. You follow because you were found and restored. You serve because you were first served. You love shaped by the love that first loved you. That's what we read about as we read in 1 John 4 of you to read that chapter. That's kind of grabbing all of that. In our passage today, Jesus actually acts out. He gives a living demonstration of what this looks like. John, who's writing this moment up for us, records Jesus' words in verse 15. He says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So this is not an example of an activity. Jesus did not say, do what I have done, like go and start a foot washing ministry. This is not a permanent ritual or an ordinance like communion. This is an encountered, uh, replicated way of life and position of the heart. It, uh, it's just as you encountered it. It's in the same way that you are encountering this in this moment. Jesus is acting out in a very scandalous way and also in a very symbolic way, the selfless love of God 
are through serving them in a way that honors them, that dignifies them, and at the same time humbles them, giving them an example of Christian conduct to follow. It's where we get our value from. It was one of the places where we get our value of as a church of selfless service. But this is more than an example of how they are or how we are to be. This is an enacted parable of the Lord's humiliation unto death. Jesus is simultaneously displays his unconditional love through this lowly act and at the same time he's symbolizing his saving grace that cleanses us from sin as he as he washes the disciples feet here jesus is in word and deed the selfless love of god so it stands to reason that those who would follow jesus the community born out of the gospel about jesus would be a living embodiment of that love, of that selfless service. It's why at the end of this this meal setting that they're at, where the washing of the feet takes place at the Passover, that's the Passover meal, at the end of this whole setting, uh, Jesus says there uh, in verses 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is to say that how they serve each other is going to stand in contrast, will be a contrast, a distinctive mark of a community that follows Jesus, that has been loved by Jesus, and then goes and replicates that, lives that out. They are to be marked by the same selfless serving love of God that was revealed in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The church is a community of people who are bound by an experience of love and an expression of love. Well, John begins here in chapter 13 with the hour. The hour has come to depart out of this world and to the Father. And it's a phrase that captures the death and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. It's a phrase that speaks to the glorification of Jesus, his return back to the Father. It's kind of almost like John is is reflecting on all that Jesus has done to get to this hour and all that Jesus will do uh, in this hour that's arrived. And he can only sum it up as love, as he thinks about it, as he reflects on it, You can only sum it up as love, but not generalized love, intentional, relational love. John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, this is a phrase. This phrase to the end has uh, an intentional uh, ambiguity to it. So that what we have here is we get more of a picture uh, in this phrase than maybe just a one-dimensional outline. The kind of love has a, a qualitative value to it. Uh, It's love to the uttermost or love of the highest intensity or love to the very last breath, as Tim Keller puts it. And it's a love that is unconditional, not seeking any reciprocation, not motivated uh, by any need at all. This love is also a displayed love and a demonstrated love. In mind here is the revelation of this love displayed on the cross a self-giving to the end even to death kind of love 
It's a love in which one is willing to lay down their life. But we must not think that the cross was the full extent or the end of this love. The death of Jesus in all its brutality and pain um, shows us the depth of the love. But the resurrection, the ascension back into heaven where Jesus intercedes for us tells us of the internal enduring nature of this love it didn't finish at the cross it continues we still encounter it we still experience it that's the picture that we have here in these opening verses you know in luke's gospel in chapter 12 and it's a real possibility that we might actually get to uh, chapter 12 next year you know who knows how we're going but there uh, jesus gives us the image that even when we get to heaven it's going to be Jesus still serving us. The selfless serving nature of God is an eternal one. And Jesus is the living embodiment of this, the living demonstration of this. Jesus is unconditional and eternal love. And that's what drives his actions here. Love for the Father for whom he will go and endure the cross. Love for you and I for who he will go and endure the cross. You see, sacrificial service is not a begrudging duty. It flows out of unconditional love. And no one loves us like Jesus. No one serves us like Jesus. And in encountering this and in seeing this, here we find the motivation for our own uh, selfless service. John tells us next, uh, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He is the rightful Lord of all. And as such, God has placed all things into his hands. That is, all things are under his control. All things are within his power. Jesus is Lord of all. That's how he started and that's how he's going to finish. Sit with, you need to kind of just sit with this for a moment. Hands that design the universe... Hands that drew up the boundaries of the sea are hands that now serve, that have always served. They rest and touch untouchable lepers. They open the eyes of the blind. Hands that have held vulnerable children. Hands that have healed women uh, and, 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 and touched and brought in healed outcasts. Blessed them with dignity and value. Are hands that will now wash and clean off the filth of feet from roads around Palestine that are littered with all kinds of crazy animal waste and human waste hands that will be nailed to the cross to deal with the filth of sin in the human hearts hands of the mighty now about to be hands of the menial of the humble and the lowly Jesus is about to blow apart and completely reverse all uh, human culture and thinking that says the weak, it's the weak who serve the mighty, it's the poor who serve the rich. Rather, greatness is found not in who serves you, but in who you serve and how you serve them. These are hands of our God, and in stunning humility uh, and without distinction, they love and they serve, and they love and they serve us. In the, in the hands of God, we are served. We are selflessly served. 
Well, as Jesus uh, rises from his place at the table there in verse 5 and walks over to the water bowl and the servant's towel that has sat in the corner just undisturbed, you must try and put yourself in the headspace uh, of the disciples. The water basin would have been the elephant in the room. Why had no one washed come and why had no one come and washed the feet of these guests? Washing feet was, a, was as routine as someone offering you a cuppa when you come to the house, when you drop in. It's just a, it's just a sign of hospitality. Well, culturally, it might be a sign of hospitality. But in a shame and honest society of, of you know, Greco-Roman world, first century Palestine, washing was always about servitude. It was always done by someone lesser. And when it came to washing feet, as a service of hospitality, it was about as low and menial job as you could get. It was um, a demeaning and a statement of your lowly place in society. Jews didn't even permit Jewish slaves to wash people's feet. They got their Gentile uh, servants to do that kind of work. And you must picture the disciples reacting uh, with alarming silence uh, glances just looking left and right flying around the room as jesus their master now moves back to them dressed as a servant as a menial slave he stoops down and one by one he washes the disciples and as he does he demonstrates to them how they must now relate to each other how they must serve each other gone are the power struggles to see who is going to sit in the seats of honor This is a new community, a new way of life that follows the example of Jesus and sees us selflessly serve the needs of each other, selflessly serve the needs of the church and selflessly serve the needs of our communities. Jesus takes the normative and normal expectations of power systems of the day and he just spectacularly reverses them and says this, What you're seeing here today is to be normative among you. Jesus fleshes out in verses 12 to 15. He fleshes this out when he says that if it's okay for him, their master, to wash their feet as a symbolic uh, selfless service, then they and all who would claim to have a part in Christ should have no problem doing likewise. In fact, To not be able to do this would be evidence that you have no part in Christ, that you haven't encountered him, that you haven't been transformed by him. You're not a disciple of his at all. Selfless service is the fruit, the evidence of a transformed heart, you see, of a heart that's following, of a heart that's being shaped and molded. Jesus is saying we are not to walk around with expectations of being served because of our status or because of our position or whatever it is that we think pumps up our tires but because of the but because of good we but because of the good for others we are to look to ways to serve because we have been greatly served paul would later write about jesus as to his dual identity as servant king but the one who was in the very nature god made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. The matchless self-emptying of Jesus stands as an example to us of what selfless service looks like. It requires us to become humble, not to grasp at our entitlements and to serve the needs of others. 
Well, Jesus is, is painting this beautiful picture in this, in this living parable of the nature of God's love. And he's giving his followers a vivid example of what this looks like to be a Christian, of what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. When he bumps into Peter, in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And we have to remember that at this point, Peter and the others are yet to be fully transformed by what they encounter in Jesus, a God who, who serves us. And Peter begins with a fair enough question. Lord, do you wash my feet? It's, it's shock, it's shame, it's his love for Jesus, not wanting to see him in such a humiliating role. It's reasonable to be alarmed at what Jesus is doing. Lord, what you're doing isn't right. That's not how things work around here. The great don't serve the common. The significant don't serve the insignificant. You sort of have to laugh at Peter. You laugh nervously. I do. Uh, Kind of of love him for his passion. He calls Jesus Lord, and then he starts to straighten him out. We saw the same kind of emotional heart on sleeve, didn't we, as we we were going through Luke, uh, Peter, um, Jesus is ever gracious with Peter. I love the relationship that they have, that Jesus has with Peter. His enduring love, his patience, his gracious correction kind of gives me hope. Jesus sort of works with fools. Jesus says in verse 7, What I am doing to you, you don't understand now, but after you will understand. It's a cryptic reference to the work of the Holy Spirit who brings a deeper understanding and experience of the gospel post-Jesus' death uh, and resurrection and ascension. But Peter, in this moment, he's still working on the meaning of Lord, and he pushes back once more uh, with even more emphatic words. You shall never wash my feet. You're not doing this thing. You're not touching my feet. Not now, not ever. The literal wording is not, in, not, not to eternity. Uh, never are you doing this thing. And right in this moment, Peter reveals the problem of grace and the human heart and its pride. Uh, I think it's Matt Chandler. I didn't have time to check it. Uh, But Peter is not being noble here. He's being foolish. His pride and his worldly thinking will be his self-destruction. If you can't deal with me simply washing your feet, how will you go? with a Messiah who dies, a Savior who lays down his life. All I'm doing here is laying aside my outer garment. All I'm doing is taking up a towel. Soon I will lay aside my life for you and and take it back up again for you. This moment is more than just Jesus demonstrating what it is, what what should be the normative position of our hearts of selfless service. This is an act of, of self-humiliation in washing their feet serves to symbolize Jesus' preparedness to absorb the self-humiliation of the cross to wash them clean from the filth of sin. You know, at a physical level, their feet are dirty. They need a wash. But Peter's pride will not let Jesus wash his feet. I'll clean them before I let you clean them. I'll do the work. I'm the one who's going to clean myself. And like most of what Jesus does... Uh, The physical things point to spiritual realities. It's a living parable. At a spiritual level, Peter's heart is also unclean as well. So the reason follows. Okay, Peter, 
Your heart is unclean too, mate. Will you clean that? Who's going to clean that? Are you going to do that, Peter? And who's going to continue to maintain that heart, Peter? Is that going to be you? Peter, I don't just clean feet, mate. I clean hearts. And you will come to see you need me to serve your spiritual plot. I can make you clean before God. This is just the way the human heart receives grace. It's offensive to us. We get all, hey, we can wash our own feet. I don't need your help. We would rather sit around with our own stinky, smelly feet than let Jesus come in and work on that and and, and do some work there. But you see, unless we hear Jesus say, you are unclean, and the only way to get clean is if I wash you, then we have no part in Jesus. Life with Jesus begins with him serving us, not us doing something impressive or noble. Life with Jesus begins with us understanding that we need a saviour on a cross. We need someone who, who, whose selflessness would deal with our selfishness. You see, it's not until we actually grasp the depths of our sinfulness that we grasp the magnitude of how Jesus has actually served us. That's the grace that transforms us and motivates us to become agents of love who selflessly serve others. Selfless service then is in our DNA once our lives are joined to Christ's. We can serve because we have first been served. We, we love because we have been loved. Paul sums it up. We, we mentioned it earlier. Paul sums it up in Philippians 2, uh, 2 to 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was from God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, over the next few weeks, maybe even into the next year, we're going to, be grappling with rebuilding a church that's been through a pandemic and there is going to be plenty of opportunity to look towards our own self-interests, to demand our rights, to demand that we be served. And I hope and pray that as we come back together that we would be marked by the DNA of selfless, loving service toward each other. No doubt we'll get a few things wrong and we'll get a few things right. But as we lay aside our entitlements to find a way to love and to serve each other in these complex and difficult environments, we can be a community of contrast. We can, we can be a community of a different narrative in a broken and wounded world of self-entitlement. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again uh, that we are not left alone to try and work out how to navigate through this world. Uh, Not only do you give us your word, you give us your son. Uh, 
to, to be this living example and to be this living encounter of what it looks like uh, to live back in relationship with you, of what it looks like to live a different kind of narrative uh, in a world that's tearing itself apart. Uh, we are called to be people who put stuff back together again, uh, to serve each other in selfless love. And our prayer is that as we encounter you more and more, as our own experience of your grace and your love to us, like we saw toward Peter, a fool being put back together by grace, would we, would we replicate that? Would the DNA be replicated that others would encounter it for your glory and for our deep joy? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.